This is Free Talk Live. It is the show where you can call in and bring up anything that's on your mind. You can join us tonight by dialing 603-435-1105. Joining you tonight, it's Sam and Wayne. And you can find out more about the show on our website at freetalklive.com. A number of great features there that you can check out, and we'll talk about those later tonight. But there is a lot of news. that It's coming fast and furious these days, Wayne. Um, we, we've got a number of things. There's this WebBot report that you've sent this email to, and Ian thinks we're both crazy, by the way. It just mm-hmm. uh, I'm sure, because this thing claims to predict the future. And so we're gonna we're gonna jump into that. I, I've been looking into it. I spent most of yesterday kind of reading through some of the interviews, reading his information, and learning about it. Um, all kinds of things are happening though. There's uh, Ron Paul news updates that we want to give you. Talk about another uh, raid on a poker game, which those always go well when you mix, uh, you know, some buddies in their office getting together for a poker game and a SWAT team. But first, uh, let's talk about. Jekyll Island, probably one of the uh, premier issues of the day is the Federal Reserve and what they're doing with the currency, some of the shenanigans that are going on behind the scenes. It seems like we're in the midst of a currency war, but the average American just, you know, going about their lives, doing their their uh, nine to five job, watching TV, they know that, you know, things aren't necessarily the best they've ever been that, you know, there's, they probably have friends that are unemployed and so forth. But how many of them do you think have an idea of just how desperate and, and dire the, the situation around the U.S. dollar actually is today. Well, they say that that it's a it's a recession when your neighbor loses his job. It's a depression when you lose yours. Right. And not everybody has lost their jobs yet. Even if the unemployment rate is twenty two or twenty three percent, that just that still means that seventy some odd percent of the people have jobs mm-hmm. who want to work. Obviously, not the ones who have dropped off the workforce. But you know, there's a lot of people in denial still, yeah. and people who are very hopeful. But I always tell people that say that that you know, if you think about the precursors. Of economic growth, they're not here. Yeah, they're just not there. It's it's such a different situation. Trying to compare, you know, the situation that we're in today to say uh, 1929 before the Great Depression. I mean, they they still had manufacturing. That's all been shipped out of the country. They still had. We were still a creditor nation. Yeah, the United States was a creditor nation. Now uh, the United States is the biggest debtor nation in the known history of the world. And people had a, a work ethic where you know they. They knew the value of hard work, and today the kids coming out of government school, half of them can't keep a job at a fast food restaurant. I mean, yeah, it, it, what's troubling is this bloated sense of entitlement that so many people uh, talk about, and yet on one side of their mouth, them even if they're Republicans, they'll talk about how they believe in, in responsibility and we got to bring down health care costs. I we mean, they're, just, they're out of control. So clearly the government needs to step in and solve this problem for us, Wayne. But they only they only believe in the government programs that, that are theirs, that are of their party. Yeah. You know, they might not like the ones from the other party, the other team, but theirs are OK. Well, but, you know, this was something Gerald Salente, one of our uh, forecasters that we look at, he did an interview uh, that was just fantastic, and he talked about the party, and you always hear him talking about the party and the party this and the party that. Well, he made the point that it's one party. It's their party, and you're the sucker footing the bill for it. I mean, there's no difference between the two parties. Sure, they argue amongst themselves out in public, but behind the scenes, they're busily working away to grow government, to increase the power uh, and control that, that the federal government, state and local governments have over your life. 
he refers to it as a two-headed one-party system. Yes. Which to me makes total sense. It's a great way to put it. I think when you put it that way, people's lights go on sometimes. And so a lot of uh, the conversation over the last, I don't know, five years, it seems like it's really heated up, or is with the Federal Reserve. I mean, 10 years ago, people, you if you told somebody that the Federal Reserve was a private uh, group of bankers, they'd say you're crazy. Even five years ago. You're crazy. It's, uh, it's, it's part of the federal government. That's why it's called the Federal Reserve. Mm-hmm. But the truth is they're not federal and they don't keep anything in reserve. They're just printing money. And then loaning it to the to the U.S. government, who's supposed to have the authority to create money under their little constitution, constitution, and uh, you know they don't. They've given that away. Of course, there's all of this uh, this mystery and intrigue because this was done over the Christmas break. the The mm-hmm. act, the Federal Reserve Act, was enacted when the most of the senators were away on Christmas break. There and were three of them there, right? A few remaining ones voted to um, waive the quorum rule. Yep. And then they voted on, on, on this bill. And the fact that, that they didn't repeal it later on because of that is, is mind-blowing, too. The way it was all done was just so sleazy. Yeah. But when you, when you start to understand the mechanics of how this all works, you go, no, no way. I mean, what if, what if I were to give you a checkbook and you could write out checks at will without having any, any money in any account? You just wrote it's the checks party out time, baby. and lent them out to people <laughs> at interest. That would be party time. Wouldn't you be Sounds able Sounds like a good deal to me. Wouldn't you be able to buy whatever and whoever you wanted in this world? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that's and, exactly what's happened. And then at the same time, once you get all of these people hooked on your money, on your system, you can threaten at any time to pull the plug on these folks and say, "All right, you know, that's fine. You don't want to do what I say. I'm cutting you off." Or you lend people money that you know they can never pay back. Yeah. So that then you can come in and you can foreclose on their natural resources. Which so is you trade the funny also, money for the hard, the hard resources, which is going on a lot. It's it's absolutely yeah. happening, and and you know really though it's it's a natural resort because a result because what's what are they going to do with all of these dollars? It's a, it's really like a monopoly game, but everybody in the U.S. is using the monopoly money. Well, it's useful in the U.S. where you can spend it, but once the rest of the world isn't so keen on taking this uh, this funny money, this QE2 and 3 and 4 and whatever else they, they make it to before the dollar in eventually collapses, it's not going to be worth anything. So all that, all those euro dollars that we've talked about on previous shows that are the 60% of the U.S. dollars that are sitting outside of the country, those are going to have to come flooding back in at some point and buy up anything of value before they become worthless. Less. That's right. So... It appears the uh, the Federal Reserve is back on uh, Jekyll Island, where all of this began. They had this secret meeting uh, about a hundred years ago, where they apparently drafted this bill with the bankers, uh, it, not in the light of the public. This was pretty underhanded thing from all the way through, and they're going back to have a little party, aren't they? Well, they actually did yesterday and the day before, the 5th and the 6th. Okay. But this article that I'm about to read came out at the end of last week, so it, it, it talks about it in, in a future tense. Okay. Uh, the Federal Reserve is holding a conference on Jekyll Island to celebrate 100 years of dominating America. And this is from the Economic Collapse blog posted on lewrockwell.com. The Federal Reserve is going back to Jekyll Island to celebrate the 100-year anniversary of the infamous 1910 Jekyll Island meeting that spawned the draft legislation that would ultimately create the U.S. Federal Reserve. The title of this conference is A Return to Jekyll Island, The Origins, History, 
and future of the Federal Reserve. And it will be held November 5th and 6th in the exact same building where the original 1910 meeting occurred. In November 1910, the original gathering at Jekyll Island included U.S. Senator Nelson W. Aldrich of Rhode Island, Assistant Secretary of the Treasury Department A.P. Andrews, and many representatives from the upper crust of the U.S. banking establishment. That meeting was held in an environment of absolute and total secrecy. One hundred years later, the Federal Reserve bureaucrats will return to Jekyll Island once again to celebrate the history and future of the Federal Reserve. Now tell me something. This is a conspiracy theory, Sam, isn't it? They did it in secret. You know, I mean, <laughs> I, I suppose. I, I mean, is it really a theory at that point? Well, it's a, you... it's a conspiracy fact is what no, I'm yeah, trying to say. Exactly. And so the, the difference between conspiracy theories, which are, are pejorative, uh, obviously, there are a lot of conspiracies out there, but it's interesting how, you know, average people every day in the court systems all around America are being charged with criminal conspiracy. Mm-hmm. And some are found guilty, some are found innocent. But why is it that when somebody accuses somebody of p- in power of wrongdoing, they're labeled a conspiracy theorist? Yeah, no, I mean, it's well documented. The The money masters, uh, or the masters of money, I think was the... It's like it's this four-hour-long um, show that just goes through and really breaks down the whole history of this. Mm-hmm. I saw that. It's boring. It's long, but it it does it has some good information in there. I mean, they they hired basically a lobbyist, gave him a half million dollars. Mm-hmm. Now that's a hundred years ago. That's millions of dollars in today's terms to get this passed, and this is celebrating when they finally were able to. Uh, to pull it off. So we'll come back, we'll get into that and some of these other stories when we return. This is Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live, the show where you can call in and take control of the airways, bring up anything that's on your mind by dialing 603-435-1105. Joining you tonight for the Sunday edition, it's Sam and Wayne. And on the website, freetalklive.com, the main feature allows you to submit stories that you think are interesting, whether it's a blog post, a video, anything that you'd like us to talk about. You can submit that, and then the other users on, at freetalklive.com will vote up or down your story. And uh, we've actually pulled a lot of the stories that we hope to get to tonight uh, from the right off the front page. So it makes it easy for us as well. Get your uh, story a better chance of being seen and talked about. And you can also, of course, call in and bring up anything. 603-435-1105 is the number for you to do that tonight. So Wayne, we've uh, we've sort of just scratched on this Jekyll Island meeting, and the the Federal Reserve is going back to celebrate their success because in the last hundred years the dollar has only lost what ninety eight percent of its value, something like I that. I mean, who wouldn't be cheering these guys on? Yes, they're celebrating the one hundred year anniversary of the domination and and purchase of America, you might say. And sadly, as this article goes on to say. Most Americans have no idea how the Federal Reserve came into being. Forbes magazine founder Bertie Charles Forbes was perhaps the first writer to describe the secretive nature of the original gathering on Jekyll Island in a national publication. He says, picture a party of the nation's greatest bankers stealing out of New York on a private railroad car under the cover of darkness, stealthily riding hundreds of miles south, embarking on a mysterious launch sneaking into an island deserted 
by all but a few servants, living there a full <laughs> week under such rigid secrecy that the names of, of not one of them was once mentioned, lest the servants learn the identity and disclose to the world the strangest, most secret uh, uh, exi- exi- uh, exi- expedition in the history of American finance. I'm not romancing. Uh, I am giving to the world for the first time the real story of how the famous Aldrich Currency Report, the foundation of our new currency system, was written. You know, and, and that's fine. If people want to go off into the woods and have a secret meeting or worship an owl or, you know, whatever, I don't care. Go knock yourself out. But when these people are doing this with the public officials who have access to the public funds, Mm-hmm. that's when, you know, it starts to become a concern. That's why the, the political fathers always talked about openness of government and the citizen press and uh, having a free press and free speech so that you could talk about these things and bring them out into the open and, and ensure that none of this was actually going on. Well, it looks that's like why it they, didn't work very well. That's right. And that's why they also passed the Logan Act for, for these types of things. Now, what was that? Uh, that that basically forbade um, uh, public officials from meeting in secret as private okay. um, individuals to form public policy, you know, behind closed doors. Uh, yeah, so nowadays they still go on these lobbyist-funded trips, but the difference is they're f- to uh, tour the region or something, and, and then they supposedly don't do any official business while they're on these lobbyist-funded uh, vacations at five-star hotels and, mm-hmm. and you know, sightseeing trips and well, the alleg- works. Yeah, the, allegedly the Bilderberg Group is a situation like that, and that's why a lot of the U.S. officials have to go there in secret. They, they go in, in limousines with black windows, and, right. they, and they go in the back entrance, and, and so the public from outside can't see who's going in or can't see them anyway. So there have been a, there's been a lot of rumors about that in the past. But getting back to this article, the utmost secrecy was enjoined upon all. The public must not glean a hint of what was to be done. Senator Aldrich notified each one to go quietly into a private car of which the railroad had received orders to draw up an unfrequented platform off the party set. New York's ubiquitous reporters had been foiled. Nelson Aldrich had con- confined to Henry, Frank, Paul, and Piat that he was uh, to keep them locked at Jekyll Island out of the rest of the world until they had evolved and compiled a scientific currency system for the United States, the real birth of the present Federal Reserve System, the plan done on Jekyll Island in the conference with Paul, Frank, and Henry Warburg, is the link that binds the Aldrich system and the present system together. He now, more than any one man made the system possible as a working reality. Now, the they, they had a, a currency system in place, that was working, but it's my understanding that these bankers and this this guy who had been paid the half million dollars to go around and lobby had had sort of engineered a currency crisis in order to strike fear into the American populace in order to get them to eventually accept the Federal Reserve taking this over as the so-called solution. Right? Well, it wasn't. It wasn't the Federal Reserve. It wasn't called that at the time. But in 1907, many people in in retrospect, feel that that uh, J.P. Morgan and his banker buddies engineered the panic of 1907 by calling in a bunch of loans that never should have been called in, right. creating a big panic. Which then they has the ru- effect of, of drastically reducing the money supply. Yes. Okay. And, and then uh, what they did, of course, is they tried to write in as the saviors, which sounds familiar, doesn't it? Uh, well, how would they do that with... Because they're the ones who kind of engineered the, the out for that. 
J.P. Morgan got a bunch of people in, in a room and hammered out an agreement, and that was, was okay. in the paper. And uh, but they were the ones who caused it to begin with. Uh, I see. All right. So the 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 press then goes out and says J.P. Morgan comes in to save the day. Wouldn't mm-hmm. it be great if these guys ran the whole currency? Yes. And if you read uh, uh, G. Edward Griffin's book, The Creature from Jekyll Island, he talks about how at the time the Federal Reserve was coming into being, that uh, they the bankers actually were coming out publicly against it because. They were doing it really very cleverly because the public thought, oh, if these guys are against it, then we want to be for it. <laughs> you see, they do that a lot. Even today, you have to watch that. Yeah. When, who, when you see groups against something, beware. It's, it's like wrestling. Yes. It's like WWF wrestling where, you know, the bad guy, oh, he, everybody boo him because he's evil, but yet they're not actually hurting each other. It's, they're, they're entertaining and they're, they're playing roles and so forth, mm-hmm. but they have an agenda. They already know who's going to win. They already know where the match is going, I think. Exactly. But this system was built uh, and it was designed by bankers and for the bankers. Now the bureaucrats running the system are returning to Jekyll Island to congratulate themselves. Those attending the conference on November 5th and 6th include Federal Reserve Chairman Ben Bernanke, former Fed Chairman Alan Greenspan, Goldman Sachs Managing Director E. Jared Corrigan, and the heads of the various regional Federal Reserve Banks. You can view the entire agenda of the conference at, it says right here, it's, there's a link to it on the Lou Rockwell website. It looks like there will be plenty of hors d'oeuvres to go around, but should the Federal Reserve really be celebrating their accomplishments at a time when the U.S. economy is literally falling to pieces? Today, 63% of Americans do not think that they will be able to maintain their current standard of living. 1.47 million Americans have been unemployed for more than 99 weeks. We are facing a complete and total economic disaster. Today, the Federal Reserve has more power over the economy than any other single institution in the United States. It is the Fed that primarily determines if we will see high inflation or low inflation, whether the money supply will expand or contract, and whether we will have high interest rates or low interest rates. The President and the U.S. Congress have far less power to influence the economy than the Federal Reserve does. And that's where this whole election thing is such a sham. Yeah, and you know they also they certainly have the control over the money supply, but I think this late in the game they're running out of options. I mean, if they raise interest rates, they run the risk of tanking the economy. They leave them where they at, where they're at, they run the risk of tanking the economy. So it's not an easy spot for these guys. We'll uh, get come back, wrap this up, and uh, get into some other stories. You can join in on the discussion six zero three four three five eleven zero five. This is Free Talk Live, the Sunday edition of the show. Wayne over there is going a little crazy on me. Hopefully he'll hold it together for the remaining two hours here. (laughs) And uh, joining you tonight, it's Sam. And Wayne. And we've been going through this Federal Reserve story. uh, We're going to jump back into that in just a second. But first, we've got a message from our sponsors. Hi, everybody. Go to english.freetalklive.com if you would like to make 20 to $30 per hour all online from your home. You'll be conducting English conversations on Skype with folks from other countries like Japan, for example. To get this, they will pay you handsomely to, to, help, keep them, to help them keep up with their already learned English. Let's say Keiko, Kaiko, is it Kaiko? Kiko, Kiko, I think. Yeah, Kiko from Japan knows that if she doesn't use it, she will lose it. She needs you for your natural English-speaking gift. 
So get the ebook and discover how to find these passionate people who will pay to talk with you on Skype. So check out english.freetalklive.com and start your own online English conversation business. That's english.freetalklive.com. You'll love yourself for it. All right. So we've been recounting the wonderful successes of the Federal Reserve over the last year. And if you want to get into the uh, conversation here, 603-435-1105 and or bring up something else if you like. But Wayne, let's uh, let's wrap this up. So, you know, is there really anything to celebrate about the Federal Reserve turning 100? I don't really think they're celebrating. I think it's a spin, Sam. I think what they're doing is they're freaking out, yeah. and they're and they're trying to figure out what to do because they're pay- they've paid themselves into a corner with these artificially low interest rates. Right. So I mentioned that at the beginning of the break. I mean that the or at the end of the last segment there, and they you there's the situation where they've set interest rates so low. This creates something called the carry trade. And it's where these these big investment bankers come in, they borrow money from the U.S. system, from the Federal Reserve at almost nothing. 0% interest rate. The local banks are doing this, and then they turn around and take that money and put it back into the Fed, or, or well, into the system by buying treasury bonds where they get 4.5% interest rates. And gee, what do you think? If I gave you millions of dollars, Wayne, at quarter percent interest rate, and then all you had to do was turn around and buy bonds that would pay you four and a half percent interest are you going to make money yes and it just goes to show you you have an insider group that basically shuffs paper paper around makes a lot of money and everybody else is scratching trying to survive exactly and and there's there's a need for a financial uh, a sector of any economy but now it's grown so large and so ridiculous it's gotten so out of Greedy. proportion with the rest of, of the economy that the rest of the economy is, is being choked off so the productive economy the productum uh, or, or you know building things that creating wealth that is shrinking and being um kept, outsourced kept and down. taken offshore and uh, you know eliminated from the economy now it's you want a job you go down to uh, one of the service sectors where the people who are still working are able to go in and buy things for in restaurants and so forth and when you talk with people about a lot of our problems whether it's healthcare education it really if you take a few steps back and you don't get caught up in the whole paradigm that they that the the dominant social themes that are kind of projected in the media and you start thinking about really it all comes down to the money why is healthcare so expensive mm-hmm. why is education so expensive it's because of of the constant debasement of the currency and it's been happening so slowly that people haven't noticed yeah that's one of the stories that i think we read i don't know if it was the thursday or the last time we did the show about inflation and all of the the wholesale price inflation of of food. I mean, I remember coffee was 45%, was up 45% Mm -hmm. year over year. Rubber, 68%. Iron ore was up 108%. So, you know, we have all of these basic uh, necessities for life, all of the grains and agricultural products at the wholesale level are are up 30 to 60% on when, average. And when you see that, you know that the supermarket spike is, is coming very soon. Yeah, so this is really what we're seeing now with the bailouts. That, that was the monetary inflation phase where they put all this money out there. It went out to the banks, but a lot of them sat on it. So there's also the velocity. How fast is this money changing hands? Uh, and that sort of determines its wealth because if it's not moving then it basically has the same effect of sitting on the sidelines and not, you know, affecting the way things are going in the economy. But once all that money starts coming off the sidelines and and it starts getting spent and 
uh, you know, people are paying higher prices and things are harder to come by and so forth, it, it's it's going to sort of just snowball at some point. And it appears that people are starting to realize that they should buy some things now with their funny money rather than later because they'll cost more later. And when that happens, that's when the velocity picks up. And it appears that's happening now. Foreigners are, have been seeing it for months, but I mm-hmm. think even Americans are starting to see it. And they'll see it increasingly so as the supermarket prices rise, right. et cetera. Because that monetary inflation has shifted out of monetary inflation to price inflation. It takes a while for that money to trickle through the first uh, people who get it, the military industrial complex, the welfare recipients, or you know, they're getting a small portion of it, basically the government apparatus. and, and Wall Street gets a lot of it. The, it drives, Wall Street and the banks. Stock yep. prices, it goes, a lot of it goes into stock prices. You can see stock prices get blown up right away. Okay. But a lot of people weren't willing to borrow either. So even though the banks had some money to, money to lend, A, some people didn't qualify because they lost their jobs or, or whatever. And second, a lot of prudent people said, this is not a time to borrow money. Well, and I think a lot of the banks were sitting on it because they're afraid of the FDIC, which is broke and going around closing and shutting down banks every uh, every Friday so they don't hit the uh, mainstream news. So, all right, what else is uh, in this story here about the... Getting back to this article on the Federal Reserve meeting at Jekyll Island from LouRockwell.com from the end of last week. As this election has demonstrated, the American people are absolutely furious about the state of the U.S. economy. But American voters have been mostly blaming our politicians. They just don't understand that it is actually the Federal Reserve that has most of the control over the performance of the economy. It would be hard to understate how powerful the U.S. Federal Reserve really is in 2010. U.S. Representative Ron Paul recently told MSNBC that he believes that the Federal Reserve is actually more powerful than Congress, and I would agree with him on that. Oh, yeah. Quote, Ron Paul says the regulation should be on the Federal Reserve. We should have transparency of the Federal Reserve. They can create trillions of dollars to bail out their friends, and we don't even have any transparency of this. They're more powerful than Congress. So, how does the Federal Reserve perform over the years, or how how have they performed? Well, since 1913, inflation has been on a relentless march upwards. U.S. government debt has increased exponentially, and the U.S. dollar has lost over 96% of its value, according to this article. Close enough, 96, 98. Yeah, I think it's closer to 98 these days. At this point, yeah. Uh, That is not a record to be celebrating. The truth is the Federal Reserve was created to enslave the United States government in an endlessly expanding spiral of debt from which it would never be able to escape. And that's exactly what has happened. The U.S. government debt is escalating at an exponential rate. It is a trap from which the U.S. government will never be able to get out from under in our current system. Now, many at the Federal Reserve are touting more quantitative easing, so-called, as a solution to our economic problems. But anyone with a brain should be able to see that a gigantic pile of paper money out of thin air, uh, dumping it into an economy, is is only going to make our long-term problems even worse. Right, because when you do that, money is supposed to be a representation of something value. of value. Yeah. And what they're doing is they're creating money, which is represented in these worthless pieces of paper, without creating any actual value to accompany it. And and when you do that, what happens is the value gets stolen from all the existing dollars that are already out there circulating in the marketplace. And not to mention all the corruption and cronyism, because mm-hmm. the people that, that have the printing press hand it off to their friends first, and they spend it while it still has value. And by the time it gets down to the average person, 
it's lost a lot of its value. Right, and we're reaching the, uh, or well, the Federal Reserve and the United States government is reaching the end of the line when it comes to the value of the U.S. dollar. At this point, it's really not backed by, uh, there's speculation that, well, there's gold in Fort Knox, but who actually owns it and, you know, does it still, is it still there, number one? Is it the U.S. government's, or does it belong to India and China and or how all many these cla- other debtors? Or how many claims does it have against it? Because they're finding out that a lot of the gold in these vaults has multiple claims on it. Oh, on nice. the same gold. So, you know, <laughs> what's what's going to, uh, to come of this? I, I don't know. All right. Well, we'll uh, come back, and I'll tell you about Ron Paul, since he was mentioned in this last article. And... He may have a a lever to pull against the Federal Reserve. We'll tell you what that is when we come back. You can call in, bring up anything. 603-435-1105 is the number. This is Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live, the show where you can call in and bring up anything that's on your mind. I would have to turn off the webcam or we're going to get a nasty little echo there. (laughs) All right. Sorry about that, folks. Uh, You can call in, bring up anything at 603-435-1105. We are, Wayne, we've been going through this Federal Reserve story. We're going to just finish that up and give you folks an update on Ron Paul. But uh, first, we've got... David in New Hampshire calling in. Hey, David, what's on your mind tonight? Hey, what's up? Um, I was just going to bring up some stuff that I've heard. You were talking about finances and stuff like that. And I heard about, uh, I heard some stuff from a um, pretty well-known um, economics um, person. Okay. His name's like Ravi Batra. And um, he said the dollar's worth about six cents. And I forget how he's, I'm not real good with economics. He's, well, he's probably, you know, back when the Federal Reserve was introduced, uh, $20 would roughly buy an ounce of gold. And if you look at it today, it's a lot more than $20. I mean, you're it's about 1400 at, almost. Yeah, a little over yeah, 1400 you, if you're buying in the open market. So just from that, it depends on, I guess, what you're going to base it on. That's what so many people where so many economists I think fall short is they're not looking at real currencies or at real commodities and and costs. They're using the government's numbers, which are fixed and giving people a false sense of reality. So they don't have to pay out billions in uh, social security cost of living increases. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it, it sounds about right. It's probably six, four, two to two to six cents somewhere in there. I know we used to have a way better exchange with Canada. We used to be able to go to Canada and, like, exchange and buy more. You know, it was just better. Our money was worth more than Canada's. Absolutely. Like, dollar-wise. Well, Canada doesn't I don't have know all what the, it is now, but... Yeah, Canada doesn't have all the debt the United States has, and they have a resource-based economy. They they have gold mining, they've got oil, they've got a lot of things, and so they're they're sitting much better than we are right now. David, is there anything else on your mind? I was just going to bring up the... Um, um, I saw. I heard it on the news. I heard it on Thinking Liberty, which is like another one of my favorite um, Liberty shows on uh, LRN. And um, 
They were say, talking about us doing the hugest arms deal ever to Saudi Arabia. And then I just Googled it, and it's like $60 billion to uh, we're selling arms to we Saudi aren't. Arabia. <laughs> yeah, huh? I'm not. Are David, you selling arms? We are. The USA. <laughs> yeah. The USA. And in fact, and, um, there's a movie called uh, Lord of War. And at the end of that, I think it was at the end of that, they scroll through and give you the facts on it and show you that it's actually, in fact, the United States government that is the biggest arms dealer uh, on the planet. I mean, right. that this that's the exports right now out of uh, America are uh, worthless paper dollars. Uh, they still have some some worth, but and then scrap metal. And this is the same thing that uh, was coming out of well in the in the fall of the Roman Empire. They had goods and services coming in from all over the world. They were getting all these exotic products and, and oil, incense, and you know all these things from the far flungs of the empire. And what they were exporting is human waste and garbage. And that's wow. pretty much the same situation the U.S. is in today. Sad. And, well, when they were pointing out that it was the biggest arms sale Ever and also the guys on Thinking Liberty were pointing out that they, all the guys, the majority of the people that crashed planes into the into the World Trade Center were from Saudi Arabia. Well, and the the reason for that I think is that the U.S. government. This goes back to uh, Wayne. You'll have to help me with the history. I think the fifties when the oil embargo was broken, or the seventies. The seventies there was an oil embargo. And this is the in the he kind of outlines it in the Confessions of an Economic Hitman, the John uh, Perkins, John Perkins book, where he went in and actually brokered the deal that said, look, if the Saudi government will come in and break the embargo and get the oil flowing back into the U.S. and promise that they won't let this happen again, we'll give you protection. And this, of course, gets into the whole 9-11 issue of why was Saddam Hussein, or not Saddam Hussein, but, uh, oh, the terrorist. Who is he? Um, Atta? No, uh, not Atta. No, the, uh, the Osama bin Laden. Oh, Osama bin Laden. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> this is why bin Laden is so upset, because he wants the U.S. government out of there. The Saudi royal family is this apparently brutal, oppressive dictatorship. For some reason, the U.S. government likes having dictatorships in there where, you know, they rule with an iron fist. It, yeah, it's it's not a not a good sign. But that's who typically, after the the CIA goes in and overthrows a government, that's who tends to get installed. It's happened the same way in Iran. They had democracy before the CIA came in and got rid of the Shah or got rid of the the government there, overthrew them and put in the Shah. So much for making the world safer democracy, huh? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So the only thing that I was just going to say, the screwy thing for me is that the, all those terrorists came from Saudi Arabia, and so, and we're selling sixty billion. We're doing such a like a friendly kind of. We're doing business, selling sixty billion dollars worth of arms to Saudi Arabia. I mean, it's and I, I think. It, I think it could be a sign that uh, perhaps the U.S. government is not going to be the policeman of the world anymore, and the Saudis are starting to see that the writing is on the wall, that this is going to be a, a failed empire here soon, and they're going to be all on their own. So that could be a motivation for uh, you know why they're, they're going out and looking for military hardware. Well, there's an increasing number of stories that are saying that the other countries in the world now are... There's a backlash against the United States and their, and their monetary and fiscal policies. And 
And a lot of these countries own a lot of U.S. treasuries and their investments are going down the toilet. So they've got to dump them soon. Right. So, David, anything you wanted to add to that? Um, The only thing that I read when I was reading online was it said something about we were selling them to um, Saudi Arabia because, um, I don't know, something to do with Iran. And we were shoring up relations with Saudi Arabia. Yeah, I think there's a lot of tension over in the uh, in the Middle East right now, and uh, it, it doesn't lot. surprise me. A lot. So thank you yeah. for the call, David. I appreciate Thanks you bringing that up. Hi, David. And let's go quickly to Alex in New Jersey. Alex, you're on Free Talk Live. What's on your mind? Hey, guys. I wanted to talk about digital currency tonight. Great. Um, this, uh, this idea uh, was not started by me. It was started by someone else. And um, the idea is that, every, that there would be one website where people could go and create their own currencies um, and then share that currency with other people, and they would be their own little Federal Reserve, and they could issue um, more so-called units of currency uh, to other people as they wish. And I, I implemented this idea, and I just want to run it by you guys. What you do is you create your currency, and then you kind of sell it to people. And uh, sell it like a, like a salesperson. You sell the idea. And then if they accept it, then you get goods for transferring. Uh, uh, you get goods, and then you transfer them fiat currency in return. The thing that keeps it in check is that all of the fiat currencies on the system are competing with each other. And it can be backed by anything. It can be backed by gold. It can be backed by labor. So it's sort of like Shire Hours. I don't know if you're familiar with Shire Hours, but it's kind of like Shire Hours, but anybody can do it. Because creating your own currency is kind of difficult. But with this, you can create your own, or you can use an existing currency. Okay, so let me, too, let me stop you. Hold on. Anonymous. Hold on. Let me stop so. you right there. So Shire Hours, you brought that up. That was a currency that I don't know if it's still around and kicking. Uh, Wayne, do you, do you have any idea? Um, no, I, I don't know. I know that, that Ithaca, New York has had the, their own currency for about 20 years now called the Ithaca Hour. Yeah, and, and that it, has actually worked, is, is my because understanding. It's lo- because it's locally oriented. So if you're trading your labor, you can go across town and, and provide that as as form of payment. But the Shire hours seem to be based around the concept that a unit of work is one hour and one hour is worth $10 an hour. Well, for me, if I'm doing, you know, manual labor, maybe that's all it's worth. But if I'm doing, uh, you know, some kind of specialized computer programming or database design, that pays $50 an hour. Mm -hmm. So why would my labor be only worth the same denomination of about $10? Well, it's not the, – the website is meant to facilitate the creation of currencies however they're backed by. Okay. So if, if you – you don't have to do it by hours of labor. It can represent whatever you want. It could represent leaf petal, uh, you know, rose petals. It could represent gold. It could represent silver. It could represent lint in your toenails. Okay. Now, I like that idea people... because, you know, that's, I think, what eventually the marketplace, when we, when we have a free market – that's actually what I believe it will come up with as a solution. And uh, hold on for us, if you could, uh, Alex. We'll come back and talk about this some more. But I think that's what it would eventually gravitate to, is we'd have money that's backed by oil, that's backed by gold and silver, and anything that people can come up with a value. We'll, uh, we'll come back and continue this discussion, and you can call in and add to it. 603 
This is Free Talk Live. We are launching into hour number two of the Sunday edition of the show. You can call in and share your thoughts at 603-435-1105. Bring up anything. And you can also check out a lot of great features on the website, freetalklive.com, like the archives, which will give you uh, MP3 archives of the show all for free right there on the front page. There's a link at the top where you can get the last week. And then there are torrents that you can download over the last, I believe, going back three years of the show. So all the free talk live that you want. And of course, you know, they're on seven days a week now. So uh, archives.freetalklive.com. So Wayne, we've, uh, we've been going through some digital currencies now and, and talking about how would the market sort of evolve and we we started out the show by talking about the Federal Reserve and how they're really reaching the end of the line mm-hmm. with this with this fiat money system. I mean, it started out being backed by gold and silver, but that's fallen away. Uh, you know, it used to be that that's why people believed in the currency because you could take that paper note and it was like a warehouse receipt where you could go in and get your ounce of silver or whatever it represented. Yeah, and domestically for the first twenty years that the Fed was in in operation. You could go to a bank and you could a dollar could get you a silver dollar, a $20 bill could get you a, a gold a double eagle. And then in 1933, they went off the, we went off the um, uh, domestic gold standard because of the Depression, allegedly. And we, the United States was still on the international gold standard until 1971 when Nixon closed the gold window. And we had all that inflation in the 70s as a, as a result. And the only thing that really saved the dollar uh, at the time was that Paul Volcker, the Fed chairman in the late 70s, raised interest rates an average of 4.5% over the inflation rate. For about three years, it took to break the back of inflation and get the, the currency stable again. And, and it, I remember people having 20% mortgages on their houses at that time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, of course, that drove the price of houses down to a level where people could afford that with that 20% interest rate. So it wasn't pretty. And Well, and it's also created sort of an environment where all of these alternatives have started coming out. I mean, we had the Liberty Dollar, which is probably the most successful. And, of course, the feds went in, stole all the gold from people and silver that was in the warehouse that was acting as a, as a way to back up all of these paper receipts that were about out and about floating around yeah. in the economy known as the, uh, the Liberty Dollar. It, that was a very, very well thought out model in many ways. And, and, and the fact that they audited the warehouse every month and there was a report right online. Absolutely. And so there are also other uh, options that are out there. We talked about Ithaca Hours and we've got Alex from New Jersey on the line who's telling us about a new kind of system that's online where you go in and Wayne, I guess you can create your own currency, Wayne Bucks, and your Wayne Bucks are backed up by, how about coffee beans? Can sure. You do, okay, coffee but, beans. Okay, but what if somebody wants delivery, how do I do that? That's a good question. So Alex, are you, you still with us? over. The system is blind. The system does not care what anything is backed by. It doesn't care who you are. What it, all, all it cares about is that everything mathematically adds up. Every, the meaning that is associated with everything in the system is given by the, by the users. The users are the people who assign value to essentially just mathematical constructs in the system. So if you, let's say that you live in uh, Manchester and you have these coffee beans that you want to sell, what you can do is you can have someone, let's say you need your house to be painted. You can have some people paint your house and then in return you can pay them 
in your coffee bean, Wayne's currency. Wayne bucks. And then Wayne bucks. And then if they accept that and they trust that as, as being valuable, they will accept that in return for painting your house. And then you can, and then they can go and spend that amongst each other. And then somebody can walk into your store and say, "Hey, I want to buy some coffee beans from you. I have these Wayne bucks. Um, can we make a transaction?" And then it would proceed from there. Okay. Now that sounds pretty reasonable. I don't think that's too far off from how you know once the the Fed Federal Reserve note is gone and we don't have this government enforced monopoly over what people can use to, to barter, essentially. I think that's how the market might come up and, and the type of solution that it would create. My question for you is, though, you, you mentioned that it's the system doesn't care who creates the value or where it goes. Uh, and to some extent, certainly, the, the value is in the eye of the beholder. The, the, something is worth whatever somebody in the market is willing to pay for it, and that's going to determine, be determined by your audience and the demand for a, a given good at a certain time. But how is it that it's going to enforce, you know, Wayne Bucks uh, are out there, and he starts uh, printing up extra Wayne Bucks for coffee that he says he has, but he doesn't actually, he, 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 does, he only has half of it in reserve. Well, keep in mind that uh, Wayne is in competition with all of the other currencies out there. So this is, this is exactly how a free market would work. Wayne is incentivized to keep value in his currency and to, to keep it at a, uh, a to keep the amount in circulation that is um, that would make it valuable. So if you were to do that, people would lose faith in it and it would crash just like any type of business goes under it would crash and then people would move to the other alternatives that are on the system okay so you know that sounds reasonable to me uh, i guess where i'm still stuck on this is what is going to you know people today if i were to take out an ounce of silver or you know there's the i think mark dice video where he walks around with an ounce of gold and tries to sell it to people for a hundred bucks or, or and eventually nobody wants to buy it. So then he goes around and trying to tries to find somebody to take it for twenty bucks, and no <laughs> nobody would pay twenty dollars for an ounce of gold out of the Canadian Mint. It, you know, it's a perfect coin. So, uh, you know, how are people going to look at something like the Wayne Buck that's backed by coffee beans and say, yeah, okay, this is something that I trust and that I want to put my faith in when, you know, the the traditional stores of value that have been around for 5,000 years, a lot of people don't understand, you know, why that's valuable in the first place. Well, it's just like any other business. They, uh, a lot of them advertise by word of mouth, and I would contend that that's the best way of advertising. Um, you can have your Facebook group that goes and is associated with your currency. Um, you can have, you can talk to people online about it. You can have it advertised in your business, on the radio. Uh, that's how people would find out about it. Uh, for, for people to trust it, uh, that's, that's something that's beyond the scope of the system. The system is just a, um, a big database that manages everything. Okay, how but now, see, I look at that. It ultimately depends on the people. I look at that, and I think that's the critical step for me. For me to get off the sidelines, I want to know that I'm not just buying into some little rinky-dink guy, Wayne here. I, you know, you're a nice guy, Wayne, but I'm not sure about your Wayne bucks. And, uh, you know, where are you keeping this these coffee beans? What happens well, fire, if, uh, fire if rodents— beware, right? 
What yeah. if yeah? Well, what if rodents get in? What if you have a fire and all this stuff is wiped out? So I got them down I, in my cellar. I, I think people are going to want some kind of assurances, like the Liberty Dollar had, and that's what it, what made it so successful in the first place. That it is being audited, that it is being stored off, that it's safe and secure, and that when I want to actually redeem my fiat piece of paper for the actual good or service that's backing it up, that well, I'll there, be able well, there, to go there, and do there that. There is no paper. It's all digital. But what, if, you, if that is your concern, then you as a diligent consumer should go and check and be, you know, be a good consumer and say, I want to see what it, your gold or your silver or whatever your currency is backed by. I want to see it and I want to audit it. And maybe, and maybe if that's what customers are demanding, maybe that's what Wayne will do and provide for the people because he, you know, he's an entrepreneur or whatnot. Well, also like in eBay, there's reputation ratings on there. So sellers yes. who sell a lot of goods successfully and have happy customers have more stars than those who haven't. And those who have a lower, a, a longer track record, obviously, are more trusted than those who might have 10 successful, happy transactions. So over time, those things will get sorted out. But some people will will be shysters and some people will be robbed and, and not delivered upon. But those and, things, and that, that it has potential. In the free market anyway. Yes, Some it does. Some people will get robbed in the free market. We can't prevent that. Uh, we can only do our best to allow market forces to have private auditing and whatnot. Everybody All gets right. robbed now. Alex, I uh, thank you for the call. I appreciate you sharing these thoughts. We'll uh, we'll come back and sort of wrap this up. There's a few points I want to make, and you can call in 603-435-1105. This is Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live, the Sunday edition of the show. You can call in and bring up anything by dialing 603-435-1105. That is the number to get you on the air. Joining you tonight, it's Sam. And Wayne. And if you like the website, freetalklive.com, there are a number of other features there, including the CAM. You can find out, or you can go to cam.freetalklive.com and see our smiling faces on the webcam. And there's also <laughs> a chat right below that. So we're waving to them now. Hello, everybody. Cam.freetalklive.com. So, Wayne, we just finished up a conversation we were having with Alex in New Jersey, one of the regular callers, um, where we were talking about sort of digital currencies. Now, in his case, he's talking about something that exists solely online, but I think it's a bigger conversation that needs to, to really happen here is what happens in the aftermath of the Federal Reserve note failing of the, the fall of the dollar. What's going to come about? Surely governments are going to be right there jumping up saying, oh, whoa, whoa, we, we've got this handled. Wayne, you need to take our new uh, SDRs. Bancor, SDR, yeah. Amero, whatever you want to call it. We've got the solution for you. But really, is it, is it going to be any different than you know the the dollar has i mean it might i'm sure they'll make some some promises and they'll make it look really good we have we've learned our lesson after that federal reserve thing sure. and we are america <laughs> we are listening now we've got this problem licked we're going to back this with uh with gold and silver or or some in some kind of ratio you know because they just mm. don't have the the wealth to to create a currency like that that's the problem that we're in today 
Another currency wanna, backed by nothing, created from nothing? Is that what you... What you yeah, said? I mean, that's essentially yeah. what, what I think they will propose as this is our solution. But yet, I think what the market would come up with is something similar to what Alex suggested. But I, I do think people would have uh, an option for paper receipts, and it wouldn't be this online community because that's just not practical. And it's also for the privacy advocates... What do they get to choose? I mean, when you have a paper note, you don't know who's giving it to you know from one person to the next. You can't trace the the money trail, so to speak. Whereas when it's all online, those are all transactions in the database, which are subject to hackers, which are subject to mm-hmm. the, the government if they want to come in and raid your servers, or or who knows, or maybe some artificial manipulation. Sure, sure. And I, like we were talking about re- before, also is the Liberty Dollar was a very very good model for what could replace. The Federal Reserve System. It was decentralized. It was private. It was backed by something. It was audited every month by a CPA firm. So to me, that's the model. And when this thing, whole thing does collapse, which a lot of people believe it will, whether it does or not, there has to be some some viable ideas out there as to what to replace it with. Right. And I think those are going to be the local currencies that, uh, you know, the Ithaca hours or some of the things like Alex talked about. And uh, he had mentioned, we chatted off the air briefly, there's a uh, Facebook group that's formed called Pork Loom, L-O-O-M. Uh, and I guess people can go there and find out more. I haven't looked P-O-R-C. into it. P-O-R-C for Porcupine. And, you know, I think that's a that's a step in the right direction. Absolutely. I think there are, also, there are going to be just huge barriers to entry because the first thing is you have to get around people's perception that this dollar is in, infallible, that this is, you know, this piece of paper here is not just a piece of paper. It's worth something. And right now it is. And and they're right. And most people are going to continue using it. But when it starts inflating, when we see, you know, the, the 14% inflation that people are expecting next year, as all of this QE2 starts flooding the marketplace, in addition to the trillions in uh, bailout money that is already starting to affect prices and cause the price inflation and the you know the smaller product packages and things that we're seeing at the uh, grocery store every day. As it gets worse, I think that confidence is going to be shattered and people will be looking for alternatives. So I hope that it does sort of evolve into this this kind of a solution. I, I agree. And, and the, the metals have always been the best thing to base money on because they are they're durable and they're, they're they have value to them and they're divisible and all the other uh, qualities traits that that uh, make th- them such good money right but it doesn't mean that other things can't be used as money as well right oil would be a, a great one to use i mean you could use bananas if it was chiquita and they wanted sure. to issue their own currency they've got a big enough supply of bananas that provided they didn't go overboard with it, I would think you could always go in and get a few crates of bananas. Well, if you think about the stock market, for example, with shares, where you can buy shares in maybe you know a, a tanker full of oil. Right. And and as long as it's, it's, it's honest and it's done properly, but there, there are going to be shysters there and, and some people will get ripped off. However, right are, now everybody's getting ripped off. And there are risks and so forth. Like, yeah. you know, the tanker could hit an iceberg and create an oil spill and there goes your, your money or what I think would mm-hmm. happen in that instance is you would lose some portion of the value of that money. But it may be insured also. That's true. Yeah. So there, there are a lot of, I think, checks and things that could come into play. But what we have today is nothing like that. What we have today 
is a government who the treasury who goes back to the federal reserve and says hey we need another trillion dollars so they're happy to print it up because you know they're going to have to pay back far more than a trillion once you add in all of the interest and so forth and nowadays they don't even have to print it all they do is click a mouse yeah and, and it's change. all digital and, and then of course the american people are, are charged interest on it the national debt is just the amount of money that's been borrowed from the Federal Reserve on behalf of the American people to the U.S. Treasury and the government. And it's totally unpayable. It is, absolutely. And so at the beginning of the show, when we talked about the Federal Reserve, there were some comments from uh, Ron Paul, who is a uh, representative in the United States uh, House, and he just had his son elected to the Senate. And so they've got some some plans, I think, that the one of which this I, I think one of their plans is to for him and his son to introduce a bill to in the Fed, which uh, hasn't really gotten a lot of traction just mm-hmm. yet. I mean, they tried to audit it, but apparently that bill went off from the House. It passed, went to the Senate where it was mutilated and, and neutered. Well, you know, this meeting they had last weekend, supposedly to commemorate the 100 years where we really think they're probably freaking out. That's probably one of the things they talked about, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. So let's uh, let's read a little let's, story here. Let's knock them off. <laughs> From Politico.com, Ron Paul in charge of Federal Reserve oversight. Ooh. Here's a little story that the House, a little irony in the House GOP sweep. The next chairman of the Monetary Policy Subcommittee overseeing the Federal Reserve, none other than Ron Paul. Who is just who would just as soon abolish the Fed? Paul is the ranking member of the subcommittee on uh, domestic monetary policy and technology on the financial services, which oversees the Federal Reserve, the U.S. Mint, and American involvement in international uh, development groups like the World Bank. Unless someone bumps him, and hopefully, you know, we're not talking bumping him off right, <laughs> the not, planet. No, that would that would be. More trouble that was worth for the establishment if that happened. I think so. He's he's next in line for the subcommittee gavel. Paul is uh, critical of all the institutions uh, he would oversee. He's long called for the killing of the Federal Reserve, and this year he tried to get an audit of the Fed into the Wall Street uh, reform bill. He has uh, asserted that the dollar should be tied to gold standard in order to keep it from losing its value. The committee has been... Uh, and, keep, and keep the American people from being robbed. Yeah, so we'll tell you uh, what he's got planned. He's there's There's been some attempts to, to reform the system that don't really quite compare to what Ron Paul's got in mind. We'll tell you what that is when we come back. You can call in, bring up anything, 603-435-1105. This is Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live, the show where you can call in and take control of the airwaves, bring up anything that's on your mind by calling 603-435-1105. And if you like the show, you want to find out more, you can go to freetalklive.com where there are a number of great features like the AMP program. That's where users, uh, listeners of the show, just like you, give a minimum of three bucks a month to help advertise, market, and promote the show. Gets the the show on more radio stations into the ears of more listeners, spreading the message and the ideas of freedom and liberty. Again, I am, I am amped. We, I am amped too. 
And you can check out more about that at amp.freetalklive.com. So, Wayne, we are uh, we were just finishing up a quote here. Uh, we've been talking monetary policy and so forth for a lot of the, the first half of the show here. And it turns out that Ron Paul, one of the, the biggest outspoken critics of the Federal Reserve, is now heading up the subcommittee that oversees them. And uh, he's got a, there's a quote here from the last guy, you know, all of these politicians, they really want to make sure that the Federal Reserve is staying in line and they're doing what they're supposed to. I mean, listen what the uh, the last guy here uh, who had it, the uh, the committee has been under, has been low key under uh, Representative Melvin Watts, a Democrat from North Carolina. His website says he plans to hold hearings on equal access by the visually impaired to U.S. coins and currency. Now, isn't that wonderful? Wonderful. Sounds like they're just <laughs> nipping around the edges, pretending he to look busy. He is really going to get in there and change things. Well, <laughs> <laughs> And in fact, the U.S., uh, this is a, a real issue, in fact, for people that are blind and, and can't see and visually impaired and so forth. In the U.S., it's one of the few currencies where all of the paper notes, whether it's a 1, 5, 10, 100... They're all the same size. In other countries, they make them different size. They have different characteristics so that somebody who's blind doesn't have to trust the person when they give them this piece of paper that's the same size and tell them, oh, don't worry, it's a 20. Mm -hmm. They can actually feel it for themselves, and that's what this guy was doing. But Ron Paul, well, he's got different plans. It's safe to say that a Paul uh, chairmanship might be a little more intense a little more. <laughs> <laughs> the Republican conference will uh, vote on Paul leading up the subcommittee, taking into consideration uh, seniority and the Republican leadership's preference. Mm. Paul's office didn't return a request for comment. Now, I did see uh, Napolitano was talking about this, and he recommended not just subpoenaing Bernanke to get him in here to start answering questions before this committee, but he he used another Latin word, uh, subpoena, add something. Which, no, what, no wonder they're freaking out. Which basically means uh, you come and show up at this time and bring with you this all information. of these things, yeah. the books. Yep. Bring the books with you because I'm gonna we're going to go through this and actually look at this policy and kind of see just where all this money's been going. And, of course, Bernanke's been on uh, in front of this committee where they're asking him, Where'd, where'd the money go? You know, you, you took trillions of dollars from taxpayers and you gave it to these people. Who'd you give it to? I can't tell you, was his answer. They said, yeah, they said, not going to tell you. Yeah. I and, mean, what do you the, do? And by the way, the, the current, the current, the current uh, uh, head of this is Barney Frank, correct? I, I, I'm not sure. I, I believe so. I believe so. And think about this, how heavily compromised Barney, Barney Frank must be with, you know, his lifestyle and all this stuff that's gone on. Oh, yeah. You know, if he doesn't toe the line, you know, there's going to be Barney pictures, naked Barney pictures all over the Internet, you know, because uh, they've got him by the cojones. I think that most of the politicians in Washington, D.C., they've found some way over time to uh, blackmail them, found something. I mean, all of these wiretaps and so forth, mm-hmm. that's one of the things. You think they're listening to the average American's conversation about getting groceries and the kids coming home? But I don't I don't think so. I think they're targeting the politicians, the people that they want to get dirt on so that they can find out what's going on in their life, what they may not want the public to know, whether it's illegal or not. It could just be a medical condition. Mm-hmm. And then they use that to, to uh, gain control over them and, and get them to you know be influenced by 
who knows who. Especially on critical votes on things that the, the, the establishment oh, yeah. really wants to get passed. You can bet they're calling in their markers. Absolutely. So hopefully he'll get in there and and shake things up and there won't be any shenanigans with the Republican Party appointing him as the chair of the committee. But uh, I got to tell you, anything can happen, Sam. I, you know, I'm just I'm not a fan of politics and I just don't have a lot of faith in the system, especially at this point. I mean, maybe the, this whole Tea Party and the Republican wave that has swept through, maybe it's actually going to make a difference. But when I've been out to the Tea Party things. These people are completely unaware that Bush put in a, a health care reform known as the prescription drug uh, mm-hmm. bill or whatever. That well, was, let's not call it reform just okay. because they call it that. I'm using <laughs> the wrong. Yeah, I don't know that much about it, but I know he's done. Uh, there was a great video online where uh, some people went out and asked 10 questions and the they would ask either is this Obama who did this or Bush who did this? And they would go through and people, oh, Obama, definitely Obama. And that one's Bush. Some people weren't sure. They'd go back and forth. Well, the the trick to the the whole quiz is that the answer was both, that they both did all of these things. And it Mm -hmm. just pointed out that at this Tea Party rally, these people really have no idea. They see that, yeah, things are bad now because Obama's – you know, the the economic situation is falling apart. Unemployment numbers aren't improving – you know, the green shoots thing uh, withered away and died. Those are gone. Uh, but at the same time, they're not they weren't looking back and seeing that it was Bush who was following some of these same policies. Yes, I don't think there's that much difference between the two. The rhetoric is different, but the actual policy, what they're doing is is no different. It's just that we're further down the road now. And so they're printing more money to keep everything afloat. Yeah. And it's so, more apparent to the average American. So people think, well, Obama's the biggest spender of, of all, but before Obama, Bush was the biggest spender in history. But they right. have to, if, to, to follow their Keynesian policies, they have to spend more and more. So it's it's just, it's a natural progression. It's a runaway train. I yes. Mean, and, and you get the law of diminishing returns. I mean, they're going to dump, I think it's $2.5 trillion with this latest QE2 is the probably the real number that people are going to see. And what kind of uh, increase in GDP are they going to get? Very little. Maybe it, seven cents on the dollar at the most. Yeah, less than last time. I mean, for how anybody thinks that when the government takes money from people, whether they print it and steal from the value of all the dollars that are out there or whether it's direct through taxation, how they think that, that, that they're going to feed this into government, like you know, the, when you go up and put dollars in the bill changer, that government's just going to suck that dollar in and then it's going to run it through all of its bureaucracy. It's going to pay for all of its office staff and the bureaucrats who work there. And don't forget about their pension plan, and Wayne. don't forget all the off-budget stuff, too, and the black budget. They need retirements and so forth. And then magically, what comes out when they do these road programs and construction and rebuild America, we're going to rebuild America with this money, America, what magically comes out is more than a dollar because government's a perpetual motion machine and they just they're they're so creating such value that you know that magically just happens i mean who buys this stuff well i just feel like that i'm watching the the collapse of the roman empire all all over again yeah because it collapsed a lot of very similarities. much the, yeah very much the same way the way they overextended themselves they started overtaxing everybody they started overregulating everybody and eventually they spread themselves so thin the, uh, throughout that region of the world, which was the world to them, that they collapsed. And it's really, it's growth of government that causes all of it. it it's, 
And it's in the things that people don't suspect. I mean, people don't, I think, make the connection that every time there's a new law or statute or ordinance, that that's going to take more government, more bureaucrats, more enforcement. It's going to be uh, more court cases, which is business for their judicial monopoly that they've granted themselves. Uh, You know, things exactly like this story right here coming out of uh, Detroit from Freep.com. And it's titled uh, Four Loco and 54 Other Drinks Banned by the State. And this story says the Michigan Liquor Liquor Control Commission on Thursday banned the drink Four Loco and dozens of similar alcoholic drinks from being sold in the state. Known as the Blackout in a Can. (laughs) Oh, boy. For its uh, combination of caffeine and 12% alcohol, Four Loco is one of 55 drinks that the state banned on Thursday. We'll tell you why and get into some of the uh, consequences behind that when we come back. You can call in, bring up anything, 603-435-1105. This is Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live, the Sunday edition of the show. Joining you from the LRN studios in Keene, New Hampshire, it's Sam. And Wayne. And if you like Free Talk Live, you want to learn more, you can go and check it out. There are wonderful ways to promote the show at promote.freetalklive.com. I think there's everything from uh, flyers, banners, uh, various handouts and things that you can do, and, and other ways that you can help spread the message about Free Talk Live and get the ideas of freedom and liberty out to the masses, promote.freetalklive.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the interwebs. Yes, this is so cool. Did you know there are some smart folks all over the world who need to meet you? Why? Well, if you're from an English-speaking country, then check out english.freetalklive.com right this very second to find out. If you're listening to this podcast, then pause and uh, pause it right now and check out the site. Go to english.freetalklive.com and discover how to create your own online business. All you need to get started is this ebook, the internet, Skype, a webcam, and a microphone. What an inexpensive way to become your own boss that oversees rewarding and challenging job that requires your unique creativity and passion. Pause the podcast and visit english.freetalklive.com right now. All right, so we are covering this for Loki story and telling you about the wonderful state of Michigan coming in to save the day <laughs> by uh, banning products from the marketplace. But uh, we've got a phone call here, and this is the show about your calls. So let's go to the phones, to the fun, unscreened, to the, uh, what is it? The It's not the amp line, the, the phone line. Who, who do we have on, on uh, the phone? Uh, this is Hancock in Virginia. Hey, Hancock, what's on your mind tonight? Um, just wanted to call and... Uh... You know, I got you and uh, Wayne there, right? Yes. Right. So uh, I want to talk to Wayne a little bit. I'm kind of curious about your uh, your history with the uh, the show here. And, you know, I I've, I've know a lot of the history around, about around a lot of the other hosts mm-hmm. and how they ended up on the show. But you know, I understand you guys you came from Florida. With, you know, I don't know if you came with Free Talk Live or no. Or I, came be- I came. I before. I came before Free Talk Live. I'm a native New Englander who moved back here. Um, 
to New England and decided New Hampshire was, was the best spot for me. I grew up in Connecticut, but I've been on Free Talk Live now for four years. This no, Actually, just about exactly four years now. And I had, well, I had met them down in Florida. I was down there in business, and I was already living up here. And I met the guys, and we hit it off pretty well. And, and I had some performing experience in the past and expressed interest in maybe being on the show once it got up here because they needed co-hosts because a lot of the co-hosts from Florida were not coming up to Florida or up to New Hampshire with, with them. So that's how it started. I did a show on November 1st of 2006, I believe it was. And um, the rest is history. Are you sure about that? Because I've seen the pictures you have of Ian, and that's that doesn't have anything to do with it. Is that what you're telling us? That's right. On the record, <laughs> are you sure? Well, <laughs> I thought so. Oh, yeah, those he pictures. has blackmail pictures. That's how that's how Wayne got on the show. So, were you a listener, Wayne, prior to? Uh... Um, moving to New Hampshire, or what? How did that work? Yes, I, I listened. I listened to a lot of stuff online, but I really, I really liked Free Talk Live. I liked what they were doing because they they weren't uh, they weren't in the right left paradigm. They were really trying to find the truth, you know. And and I thought they had some very interesting takes on things. And it's it's really refined. Uh, there's a lot of things that you might believe or feel just intuitively because you believe in freedom, but the way they articulated that. I found it to be very interesting and useful. And since I've been on the show, you know, we've tried to evolve it in certain directions. I think we've gone a little bit more into the economics in the last few years than, than they did originally. And, and, you know, we've all grown from it. I've learned a lot from those guys, and hopefully they've learned a little from me too. Yeah, it, it's tough to really bring in the economics subject matter and not put your audience to sleep or get them to change the channel because, you know, not everybody has a, a strong understanding of this, so I try and bring these topics in and these stories in in ways that we can sort of explain it to the masses and get people to understand what's coming because it's it's bad news. I mean, there's no doubt about it. It's going to be tough times ahead, but there are things that people can do to prepare right now. And hopefully if we get to this in the WebBot story down the road, uh, we'll talk about some of these solutions and things that people can do to prepare for when the dollar does collapse and some of the signs and things they need to be looking out for and know, so they know when to take action. Uh, but one of the other things I really like about Free Talk Live is the fact that, you know, in talk radio, a lot of times the hosts are are told that you're always right, never admit that you're wrong, you know, so on and so forth. I can't tell you how many times I've been listening to Ian and uh, Mark doing their show so a caller calls in, brings something up that they hadn't considered, and they change their viewpoint. I mean, it's not very often, but they're willing to admit that, okay, yeah, that may be a better way to go about it. So. I was also very intrigued with, with the chemistry that Mark and Ian have. And when I first started doing the show, I was really uh, reluctant to interfere with that. So at first, you know, I, I would try to interject things, but I was really trying to just let them go back and forth. And, you know, I'd be a referee sometimes when they were arguing. And, you know, I tried to even be the comic relief at times, which I still do. And, and, you know, especially if things get a little too heavy and heated, you know, you got to crack a joke or something. And, and, but, you know, those guys have such an incredible, incredible chemistry that, yep. that, uh, you know, that's, that's the challenge. And when you have three people in the studio, it's also more difficult too, because you've got three people who want to talk rather than two. So, you know, with Sam and I together here, I get to talk a little bit more, but I'm still, I still sometimes uh, struggle with that. And I'm sure you, you do too. So, certainly, uh, you know, it's, I think I jump in a little too often and tend to cut people off and because I've just got, oh, I want to say this, I want to say this. Yeah. But 
you know, I, I've been kind of watching that. The, the key is really, I guess, it, to anybody who's considering doing their own media. The way that I got good at, uh, you know, eventually getting asked to to join the show and, and co-host on one of the weeknights is I would start listen. I listened to the show for about a year and uh, learned a lot, really opened my eyes to some things. And then I started sort of listening to the show from the perspective of, okay, if I was on there, what would I say? And so I'd let them read the story when I'm playing back one of the podcasts. Then I'd pause it and I'd say, okay, these are the points that I would bring out about this story. And then I'd unpause it and listen to what they brought up. And did I, did it match? Did I bring up different things? What aspects, you know? So going back, listening to it, putting the time in, really thinking about where you want to take the conversation, uh, how, what, what different aspects your listening audience would would feel is important or interesting because that's really what it's all about you're trying to make a show that people are willing to to stick around and listen to between the uh, commercial breaks where you're making money and you also want to put on a show where you're you're bringing up a lot of things that people just haven't thought about right you know you you want to expose people to different ideas uh, from left field sometimes because even if they might seem far out or crazy at the time sometimes they end up being true i mean look at the look at the presidential campaign in 2007 2008 when uh, Mitt Romney was looking at Ron Paul as if he was just stepped off a spaceship when he talked about a possible economic collapse yeah and a financial crisis. And then, you know, a year later, they it happened. They were all laughing at it. They were all laughing at it. I mean, look at this kook over here on the stage. How did this guy get into this debate? And look at Peter Schiff four years ago, how when he'd be on Squawk Box and he would say the real estate market was going to crash and they would laugh in his mm-hmm. face. But he held his ground. He never got discouraged. He always went out there and he just put out his opinion and then it all came true. And that sometimes that, that's what you have to do. And the mainstream media, unfortunately, tries to play it safe too much and they don't want to st- rock the boat. Yeah. So somebody has to rock the boat. Hancock, any other right. uh, thoughts on your mind tonight? Well, yeah, I'm just uh, now I'm a little curious about about you, uh, Sam. I know I've been uh, I've been listening since uh, probably uh, December 2006, so I've been listening for a little while. Okay. Uh, and I, I remember listening, and it, when, back when you were living in Texas, you were, you would call a caller. Oh yeah. Um, I remember you were you were actually one of my favorite callers actually back <laughs> then. And uh, so I remember when you were Sam from Texas uh, at one point in time. So, uh, you know, I'm a little curious, you know, because you, you seem to slide straight as a caller, straight into the role as uh, as a host when you moved there. I was just curious if you if, if that was planned. Did you have that planned or did it just happen or how did that work? Um, you know, actually, I did kind of leave that out. I was listening to the shows, but before that, I started calling in. And my first call, <laughs> I called in to challenge Ian on... Um, the the neighborhood plan if we had all private property what's going to stop one guy from buying up all the roads to a neighborhood posting armed machine gun guards and charging a thousand dollars to enter or leave the neighborhood then all the housing prices plummet and he can go in and buy them for pennies on the dollar and then he lifts his restrictions and moves his military out and then the house housing prices go back up well that's a great scam that somebody could run and you know the the market would address it. I don't want to get into the details of that, but I kind of stumped him, and I I didn't. I lasted maybe two or three minutes. I think Ian was a little ticked with me. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, then over time, I started calling, and I would last a whole segment, and then two segments, and then we 
we started telling my court stories, which were, I, I just loved doing that. And I was flying without ID. I flew over 40 times without showing identification. That's, 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 that was great. I love that. Oh, stuff. yeah. And, and you know, eventually over time, I just got to where I could interact with them more as a host than a caller. And so once I moved up here, he asked me to join the show, and I did. So there's a little bit of uh, Free Talk Live history for you. Hancock, I thank you for calling in tonight. Appreciate that. And we'll come back and get into this Ford Loki story where Michigan Seiko CIA uh, <laughs> company where they can take care of collections, assassinations, uh, <laughs> dictator overthrows, whatever you need. That's right. CIA. <laughs> Currency. <laughs> All right. So uh, we've, we've had a number of calls there. And if you'd like to call in and, and change the topic here, 603-435-1105. But, Wayne, let's get back to this story for Loki uh, out of Michigan where, uh, you know, Detroit. This is from uh, Metro Detroit. Where Are there any fines involved here? Oh. Because Detroit's pretty hard up for money. It wouldn't be surprised me yeah, if there were some fines involved. That's what I'm wondering. Uh, but, you know, the the real point I think people that people miss when they see stories like this is they're they're destroying the economy. I mean, this is somebody's business that they've come up and come up with. They've they've created this idea. They've gone through and created all the product marketing and the packaging and the manufacturer. So they've invested serious amounts of money. And here the government comes in and says, uh, no, 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 you can't do that. Well, you know what? This reminds me of a similar situation. Have you ever heard of kombucha? No. It's a fermented tea. Okay. And it's, it's, it's actually it's a company out in California that's gotten really big by making it, and they sell it to health food stores. And it has a minuscule amount of alcohol in it. So what happened was a bunch of the states, I don't know, maybe even the federal government decide, well, it's got, it, it, you know, it's got alcohol in it. We have to regulate it. So it got pulled off the shelves and almost put this company out of business. Mm. And it's really a terrific product. I drink it when I'm on the road a lot because it, it, it cleanses your body and it has a lot of probiotics and enzymes and different things. And you feel really good when you drink it. So it took about maybe four or five months before it's back on the store shelves again. They had to go and revamp their whole process. And, and I'm sure it almost put them out of business. And you couldn't find kombucha anywhere, and everybody was freaking out because people that, that drink it really like it. Well, uh, in Detroit, their their justification for this uh, ban is uh, a Melvindale uh, teen said she consumed four loco before she uh, was sexually assaulted last month. Did she pass out? Uh, it doesn't say here. I uh, doubt it. If, if there's that much caffeine, you know. The uh, the commission reversed uh, its appeal of all energy drinks that contain alcohol, citing safety reasons, mm. and is giving the manufacturers of the beverages 30 days to remove them from store shelves. It the, probably isn't a real responsible product, you know, but... It, it, it may not. But, it, it might, and, there and, might know, be better ways of handling this. It may be a, a dangerous mix of caffeine and alcohol that causes blackouts in, in the terms that people don't remember you know what they what they did last night or or are not as responsible and so forth but if people want to if consenting adults want to make the decision to drink something that may cause them to act irresponsibly then you know they should be allowed to do that i i just it's it's a matter of of uh who owns your body and what should you be able to put in your body and you know who should who should be the decider of these things you or some bureaucrat that you've never met who has all kinds of corporate interests and political interests and 
uh, and a desire to control the behavior and the lives of others. Well, that's right, because you can go to the liquor store and buy 151 or, or oh, yeah. tequila and, and be in... That'll do it, too, let yeah. me tell you. <laughs> that, that's a much higher percentage of alcohol than one of these drinks. Yeah. So the, uh, the commission's concern for health, safety, and welfare of Michigan citizens and the fact that there is not enough research to validate that these products are safe for consumption <laughs> has made me believe that until further research can be done by the FDA... Oh, the FDA! Like, they're going to keep us safe. How many yeah. drugs have been recalled uh, after killing people that have been approved by the FDA? How about Jack Daniels? That's been on the market a while. Don't you think that's maybe a little stronger than this stuff? They should no longer be on Michigan shelves. Michigan Liquor Control Commission uh, chairwoman so-and-so said in the statement. So they're going to pull all of these drinks off the shelves, just kind of like a recall, but we just don't like your product. We've heard that somebody who drank it was raped, and so therefore (laughs) you can't sell this drink. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Uh, The drinks have been... Listen, hey, by the way. Being yeah. raped is terrible. Oh, yeah, you yeah know? absolutely. But how many people who drink alcohol or have done other drugs... End up raped. End up raped, exactly. The date rape drugs, you mm-hmm. know. So th- that's just so silly to, to, to try to equate it to one crime. Well, these drinks have been banned on some college campuses across the country. Uh, Fallujah Project, Projects, the maker of Four Loco, issued a statement Thursday disagreeing with the Michigan ban. Quote, the commission did not provide advance notice of its proposed action, voted on the ban with only three of the five commissioners in attendance, and did not give the parties who will be affected by the ban any opportunity to be heard, the company said. So there's the uh, the government bureaucrats there obviously out to serve the people by not letting them speak at their committee meeting where they're banning your product and, uh, and putting you out of business in the state. The manufacturer also said it planned to challenge the ban in court, and other drinks uh, banned include uh, Jose and Smirnoff raw tea. Described as a uh, premium malt beverage, the makers of Four Loco have, some, have come under uh, fire after dozens of students in Central Washington University became sick after mixing the drink with other liquor and pills. And pills. And pills. What what pills might those be? Oh, I don't know. Maybe the, they're doing the pill roulette where they all the kids bring in pharmaceuticals and pour them into a big bowl and then they just take random pills. What could possibly go wrong with that, Wayne? <laughs> I mean, clearly we need to ban this drink. If, if kids are drinking a sip of this loco and then taking unknown prescription meds at random, the problem is the drink. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. It's crazy. When, you know, if these kids were growing up learning how to consume alcohol responsibly, learning their limits before they get behind the wheel of a car, it's just they would they would know their limits. I don't think you would see anywhere near as much of this sort of crazy uh, behavior that's out there and the the things that the, the drunk driving and so forth. People would grow up and learn their limits and they would be accustomed to it. Versus this, no, uh, oh, no, 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 stand back, stand back behind the line, okay, all right, go. And then everybody goes out and drinks, and they get into the binge drinking, and you get the pre-gaming with the people that are underage who want to go and, and down three or four beers because they won't be able to drink at the bar or whatever. I, I mean, it's just, or they can't drink in the car. Some people would be able to drink into the car on the way to the bar because they, they want to save money. It's, you know, it's a, a down economy. You know what's really ironic about this, too, is it happened in Detroit, which is Motor City, obviously. And, you know, if you think about it, the way that the, the uh, big three automakers basically lobbied the government over the last 50 years to 
design cities so people will drive more cars. Oh yeah, you know it, it makes it. Uh, you know if the whole drunken driving thing. You know when people lived in cities and, and could get by to work by train, the drinking drinking and driving it's not thing an wasn't, issue. It wasn't an issue. I've right. sat in, I've sat by many drunk people in London and Scotland uh, on the train. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they, they stumble around, but they're fine. They're not causing problems. And the other issue that, that sort of ties into that, the other unintended consequence out of uh, all of these, these government uh, interferences in the private market is that you don't have the neighborhood bars. They're regulated. There are fewer of them. They reduce the, the quantity and the, the number of the, the diversity that's out there. Yeah, because a lot of people used to walk or take a taxi you could to the walk, neighborhood yeah. bar, and then you'd take a cab home, and if you are if you had a few too many, okay, you stumble into your apartment, you go to sleep. Yeah, whereas you know? today you have to drive further, and they're, they're more centralized and controlled. It's, it's all about this central, you know, planning, central planning begets idea. more central planning, which begets more. It does, and it, and it just it doesn't work. These, these people cannot sit in their back room and decide what hundreds of millions of people acting independently in the marketplace. They, they just can't figure out what's best for them, no matter how hard they try, no matter what kind of little propeller hat you give them to put on their head and spin around. They're not going to come up with the right answer. The answer is to allow the marketplace the freedom to choose, allow a free press to get in there and take care of the bad characters who are putting drunks on the road uh, and handle these problems. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. There, there's a lot of solutions that people don't readily look at because it seems like the ones that are that are put out there in the media uh, just tend to be um, they, they they basically benefit somebody at the expense of somebody else. Absolutely. So, yeah, what's the answer? Is to just stop obeying consensual stop, relationships and start building a uh, agorism that will. Uh, outdo the government one day 603-435-1105 we'll come back and we'll get into the web bot story This is Free Talk Live, the Sunday edition of the show where you can call in and bring up anything that's on your mind. 603-435-1105 is the number you can call. And if you like Free Talk Live and you want to help out the show, you can, uh, I don't know, check out the Shrine of Female Listeners. It's not a beauty contest. You can submit your photo and it just lets the uh, radio community know that Free Talk Live attracts well, lady listeners, because in talk radio, it's mostly a bunch of dudes talking on the radio. Rooster party. <laughs> and speaking of that, we actually have uh, Stephanie from PorkTherapy.com. Stephanie, you're also one of the co-hosts on uh, Free Talk Live. You have done you did this Saturday show a while back and did a, a wonderful job of it. Outstanding. And also she reads on some of the Lou Rockwell uh, blog. As well. Very busy woman. Stephanie, what's on your mind tonight? <laughs> Hi, gentlemen. First of all, I just want to say you're you're doing a great job. I'm really enjoying the show. Thank you. Um, Thanks. It was interesting that you brought up this uh, this recent news item about the uh, alcohol and caffeine drink being banned. Yeah, because, because a lot of them have have started coming out with this. I know Budweiser did like an e beer or something like that, where they'd mix in some caffeine with beer. It seems like the the latest craze. 
Well, when you get drunk, they yeah. give you coffee. Why not just do it all in one drink? <laughs> Save the stuff. Well, actually, Wayne, that was uh, that was kind of the point that I wanted to bring up. Um, I mean, I actually had a, a coworker who's, I would say, liberty curious, um, <laughs> bring up this article to me, and and he showed it to me, and he said, "Oh, well, this is really ridiculous because, uh, you know, don't they know that people mix um, caffeinated beverages with alcohol all the time, like you know, Coke with, you know, whatever whatever mixer, uh, vodka, rum and Coke." Vodka. Yeah. Or a vodka yeah. Red Bull. That's one of the drinks that, you know, when I was going to the clubs and things in Dallas, that I, I'm not a huge fan of beer. I don't drink a whole lot. But when I would, I would get a, a vodka Red Bull or Monster uh, with, with some other alcohol in it because it would help, you know, keep me awake and alert and uh, get a little buzz going. Well, in a different era of my life, I was a bartender and, you know, they'd always... We'd give them coffee if they got really drunk and they were passing out. But all that does is make them more wide awake drunk. Sometimes it's better if they do pass out. (laughs) (laughs) My favorite thing was when I was in Amsterdam, it was, uh, I don't know, about 2 a.m. or something. I think most of the places were sort of closing down. I was on my way back to the hotel, uh, walking through the the canal, the red light district there where all the smoke shops are and or coffee shops. And there was this one bar that still had its lights on. And I um, I thought, well, all right, I want to go check it out. I, I, it was really late. I was ready to go back to the hotel. But I walk in. It's this little tiny bar. You know, there's a bar that takes up half the space in the place. Mm-hmm. And in the door to my right, when I walked in, there was a little picnic table. And I walk in this door. The bartender and about six dudes are up standing, all standing, holding their beers up in the air, just belting out this song in Dutch. And I look to my right, and there's this girl who is passed out with her head down on the picnic table. And the bartender looks at me, sees that I'm some dumb American tourist, and he's like, no, no, not for you. Go, go. And he just kind of waves me out, and I'm like, uh, 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 me? Oh, oh, okay, sorry. <laughs> and I walked out the door. But you th- think about that. In terms of the U.S. and what a, a bar owner here would do nowadays. Oh, I'm sorry, ma'am. If you put your head down on the table, you're going to have to leave. So then you get all of you get her and her drunk friends trying to go somewhere else, maybe in a car uh, over here, especially. And, you know, what's the harm in just if the bar owner's OK with it, just letting her sleep there until her friends are ready to drag her home and. Uh, you know, make sure that she gets home safe. As long as she doesn't vomit on the table, because that's messy. That, yeah, that, yeah, then you might want to put them outside or something. But still, who cares if they're sleeping outside and on the front front steps or something? Stephanie, yeah, what are your probably, thoughts? It's probably the safest thing, and I think there are probably be some people who would say, like, well, if she's sleeping on the table, then she's not buying drinks. But mm. I think bar owners also, you know, kind of want their customers to come back and. uh Want right. them to have a good experience, and I don't think that would be good for business long term if they just kind of were throwing people out. But uh, I had something else that I wanted to bring up about this article. Sure. Uh, they said they said that they were going to give the uh, store owners thirty days to get rid of all this stuff. What do you think is going to happen? I think they're probably going to put it on sale, and then people will be buying it and just having huge parties. That's <laughs> exactly what I was wondering. Is you know that that sounds like to me a perfect way to you know fire sale, <laughs> just sell it all, yeah. and get rid of it. They they probably are. You're right. 
they're probably going to create an unintended consequence of this because mm-hmm. that's one of the things I noticed is it didn't look like that they were banning the sale of it. They're just saying you have to get rid of this from your stores in 30 days. So mm-hmm. they're probably going to create this huge surge when all these drinks are on sale because, hey, sell it or or they're going to take it back. Another bubble. That's all we need. Yeah. And so then we'll see a spike in, uh, in who knows, parties or, or disorderly conduct or fights or drunken drivers. Hopefully nobody gets killed over this. But don't worry, the bureaucrats will not be held responsible. Never. (laughs) Stephanie, anything else on your mind? That's it. Thanks, guys. All right. Great work. Great hearing from you, Stephanie. All right. It's good to hear from from other callers. And I I, I love the show that she does. She does uh, Lady Talk Live. Which is free talk live, but with she all talk chicks. live. She talk live. Yeah, she yeah, talk live. Thank you. I think I called it chick talk live to her one day when except, I saw her. She said, no, it's she talk live. Except one time, I think they were in here actually drinking and got a little crazy with the show. Oh, did they, they went into extended edition and and were drinking. So it was, I don't know. I didn't hear all of it, but a good show. Otherwise, sounds like a good party. I enjoy listening. I'm too to old them. for that crap. And it's you know you get a different perspective because the the ladies certainly have a different uh, outlook on the world and and on uh, current issues and so forth than us guys do. So, okay, uh, Wayne. Let's see. What do you want to get into here? We, we've got some police state news that that we could cover, or we could uh, jump right into the the Webbot project. Do you want to you want to try and give people a cursor as to what this thing is? And- sure, sure. Because last last week, I believe I emailed a few of my trusted associates here on Free Talk Live and a few of my friends who are listeners about the WebBot project, which I've been following now for several years, and I, I've read their reports intermittently. And what I've found is is that there there's a, there's something behind this. It, it's it has some degree of accuracy, and and I thought I would share it with a few of you, and 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 you can investigate it for yourself and and see. Uh, what you think now it's run by a fellow named cliff high who describes himself as a radical linguist he's multilingual and also proficient in several computer programming languages around 1997 he began analyzing language patterns scavenged from the internet by his web bots or spiders he found that people's language patterns changed in response to certain emotional impacts he analyzed this by putting certain emotional subjects into his various buckets that the that gave generalized and sometimes whimsical names to, in order to group various subjects for analysis. Then he found that people's emotional language usually began to change in advance of certain events that impacted them. It seems that people are subconsciously prescient to a degree, and this subconscious knowledge leaks out in the language they choose to use. In a nutshell, that is how the predictive linguistics of the WebBot project works. Scavenging scavenging data is purely mechanical, but the interpretation is human labor, software, and knowledge intensive by Cliff and his assistants. Okay, so we've got, he's created this machine that's going out, sending these spiders out, which are just computer programs that are going out there, looking at the conversations, the words people are using on the internet to describe what's going on, their everyday interactions, and he's found some rather interesting patterns. We'll, uh, we'll get more into this when we come back. This is Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live, the Sunday edition of the show where you can call in and take control of the airwaves, bring up anything that's on your mind. 
603-435-1105. Joining you tonight, it's Sam. And Wayne. And if you like the show and you want to find out more, you can go to freetalklive.com. Uh, where there are a number of features, including uh, updates. You can get updates about the show. When you want to know the latest that's going on with Free Talk Live, you can get on the email list at updates.freetalklive.com, and you can also find out about the Twitter and Facebook feed. So there are uh, lots of great ways to get information about Free Talk Live and what's going on with the show, updates.freetalklive.com. Okay, so Wayne, we are going through this WebBot story. Now, this is probably not one that Ian had in his show prep pile because this gets a little bit into the sort of uh, woo-woo. Yeah. woo-woo round. Yeah, yeah. realm. Yeah, it, it, you know, it's it's the subjects are a little bit out there. He's doing some theoretical stuff. Uh, he'll, he'll admit here we're going to get back to this uh, sort of summary of what he's doing here in a second. But he'll admit that this is wrong about fifty percent of the time. But that's but it's still beyond pure chance when it's fifty percent. That's still not bad. It, it, it's not bad, but it's not like he's uh, you know given a question with one of two outcomes and he's guessing A or B fifty percent mm-hmm. of the time. He's he's coming out with stories with things like the uh, crash of the markets in two thousand eight. Is that yeah? They predicted that to the day. To down they to the Octo- day. They said October eighth, and that's exactly that was the day it came down. I mean, it was amazing. They nine eleven, the the uh, Sumatra uh, uh, earthquake, New Orleans, Katrina, Rita, uh, Cheney and his accident back when we were the shotgun accident. Oh yeah, the sex scandal, um, uh, Bush and the there was a bunch of uh, escalating disclosures under the Bush administration. I mean, there's a whole list of things they got, and I've read a lot of those reports before they happened. The the oil volcano yep. in, in the Gulf. Mm-hmm. That was coming of the data, so that it's really interesting and, and intriguing. So I, it's not accurate all the time, but but according to Cliff, we'll find out there's some things that might be coming up. Yeah, so let's get back to his, the summary here that we're reading. So uh, in a nutshell, that's how predictive linguistics uh, of the WebBot project works. Scavenging data is purely mechanical, but the interpretation is human labor, software, and knowledge intensive by uh, Cliff and assistants. The hit rate exceeds pure chance by something better than 50%. It's not perfect, and it becomes more and more foggy as one tries to elicit the the fine details out of a a subject. If one does not predict actual events, but the emotional headline response to those events with certain keywords or phrases attached to them. So basically what he's saying is it's not... He's not going to come out and say, uh, on Thursday, a guy wearing a blue hat is going to walk into the building at 9.30 a.m. That's not what sort of comes out of this language. What I've, I've dug into this, and I it may go into it here in the story, but basically what he's doing is he realized people have their own lexicon of, you know, the words and, and phrases and things that we commonly say to each other. We do the show every... Uh, I'm here Tuesday night, you're here Wednesday, and the first uh, Sunday of the month, Wayne, you and I come in and we talk about certain things. We talk about the economy, typically. So that's sort of our sort of natural phrase or natural uh, subject matter and things that we would talk about. But what he has sort of learned, and he started out doing this as a financial program to... Predict the stock market. To help cheat the stock market, yeah, and find out where the where the new uh, moves were going to be and take advantage of those, certainly. But he found it was well beyond the stock market. Yeah. He found out that 
in in those conversations, if you look at them at them over a time dimension, where you look at what Wayne and I talk about from one week to the next to the next to the next, that certain words tend to pop out. And concepts and, and, and emotional values to certain words come up. For example, if you were using the word depression four years ago, not many people were using that word. Right. And now a lot of people are using the word. And what's about what's coming. Is and what's, Yeah, exactly. What's coming. Because people can sense what's coming, even though they don't exactly know. Sometimes people can sense something is coming. And he actually gets into sort of some of the law of attraction uh, things that I've talked about on the show before and having to do with, you know, vibrational frequencies and or that are thoughts that we are really pure energy and that our atoms are, are the known universe is annihilating and recreating itself uh, 22 trillion times every second and that our little monkey brains, the human body, is only able to see it like 8,000 of these inputs of the 22 trillion that are out there. So we have this very sort of limited perspective on things. And his analogy was a great one. I mean, I certainly see the difference between the spirit, the, the, that which animates me, that me and the physical body that I inhabit, that I experience the universe through right now, this is just temporary. He talks about, well, if a scientist is Look, or if someone's looking through a microscope at a little something on the Petri dish there and the microscope breaks or, or the light burns out, well, that's not the end of the observer. That's the end of the microscope of the physical body. And so he talks about it in these terms of maybe there's something more to us than our physical bodies can really perceive. comprehend, understand, and perceive, and that if there was an organism out there that that could operate at, uh, you know, a trillion uh, times per second and could perceive things that are going on in that realm, they're going to see more and know more than I would being only at 8 billion. So it's kind of that concept of there's a lot more to reality and to the universe. And the same is true, you know, if I'm shooting film, I, I shoot 24 frames per second. And when people watch that on TV, they think that it's, real-time, constant motion, but it's just 24 pictures that I'm rolling in a certain order with sound. I mean, that's it. But people perceive that as real, as reality. And the same could be true. And in fact, it looks like it is true for the universe, but it's happening at 22 trillion times a second. And also, and we don't perceive it. Also, human beings are wired differently. So, so something I might perceive and see you might not and vice versa. So when you take the aggregate of what everyone is perceiving then you can get a different picture, a wider spectrum of, of what might be out there. Right. So let's get back to the letter here. So, yes, it's kind of squishy, but, but uh, still stunning when it, gets you, when it gets a hit. And you see the actual language anticipated that is later used to describe an event. Sometimes uh, some strong language pops out everywhere and grabs his attention and can be used as a temporal marker to verify a chain of possible upcoming events. In July 2001, Cliff found a large emotional tipping point coming from a matter coming in a matter of months. It was a it had keyword associations of military and accident, uh, among others. It had an intense emotional impact lasting about four hours, and lingering emotional release lasting several days. He wasn't sure what it was until September 11, 2001. The event lasted several hours, and the lingering effect of uh, grounded airlines lasted for several days. It changed life as we know it. 
In trying to financially support the bandwidth for the web bots, Cliff uh, offered the technology to the government. They were not interested then, and he found a foreign investor who paid him to keep it running. And the foreign investor made large sums of money by using the information the project supplied. That has since ended, and in uh, one scan of the net, the web bots made it into a Chinese server that was doing the same kind of work. So it looks like you know the government hears about this and knows that, uh-oh, it's working, why wouldn't they go out and try and duplicate it? Well, and they well, would have unlimited resources to put something like this together. Well, the federal government may have told him no because they already had a similar project, and maybe it right. may, maybe it's even more sophisticated than Cliffs. I, I would I would believe, or I, I think that that's probably the most likely scenario here. Mm. So uh, let's see. So Cliff knows that the Chinese are actively doing this kind of project, also. Uh, there are also indicators that the U.S. government has taken the idea and quietly started using it also. In predictive linguistics, it seems that the further in advance they see something coming, the bigger the event or the emotional impact is. For a year or two now, Cliff has been looking at the largest emotional tipping point he has ever analyzed, the one that is predicted for November 8th through the 12th. So we'll tell you a little more about what that is and what could be right around the corner here when we come back. You can call in, bring up anything, 603-435-1105. This is Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live, the Sunday edition of the show. There's still time for your calls if you make it right now to 603-435-1105. Joining you tonight, it's Sam. And Wayne. And I don't want to waste any time here, Wayne, because we are kind of going through this uh, WebBot report. We're in the last segment here. Got some. It's making some very uh, interesting predictions, or, or it's the data, the linguistics is sort of bringing about this event that we just talked about at the so, a so-called tipping point. A tipping point, yeah. Which the last one it saw was nine eleven. And it rose, you know, the tension kind of rose and rose, and then it held for four hours, and then there was this release language where people are talking about the event. Oh, that was so horrible. Mm-hmm. I, I can't believe I lost loved ones, that sort of thing. That language is sort of coming out for about 12 hours after that, and that was for 9-11. But this time, uh, the the letter is saying, or the, the linguistics, the programming, the analysis is saying that this one is predicted for November 8th through the 12th is what it originally said here. But since this letter's come out, he's done some additional analysis. Yeah, he, wanna... ran, he ran the data again last week, and, and he said that the date seems to be a little bit later, seems to be around the 14th of November. Although starting on the 8th, there will be kind of a plateau, and then maybe the 14th is the day it looks like that it might it might flip. So the, the holding window where in 9-11 it was the four hours kind of during the attack is what I'm assuming reading into this. Whereas this time, it looks like the holding pattern is kind of spread out over four days from the 8th through the uh, 14th, or actually six days, I guess. Yeah, it's, it's all approximate. It's all approximate, but it's, it's based on his more refined knowledge of how to analyze his data over the years. And- yeah, and it also gets into just uh, quantum physics and the, the Schrodinger's cat and the, uh, the idea that, well, if you put a cat in a box and then you leave it there for a while, when you go to open the box, is the cat dead or alive. And mm-hmm. before you open the box, the answer is both. It depends. The, the outcome of the experiment depends on the expectations of 
the the user of the observer mm-hmm. and there are other experiments that you can do with you know photons hitting photoreactive paper where you send it through two slots and you do it with an observer or with a camera running and it comes out one way you take all that away and you run the experiment with nobody watching come back and the paper looks completely different and they they have no explanation for that well what's really interesting with the internet now is is like we were uh, talking about in, during the break is that the internet and and the consciousness around it with all the different people is creating an organism in itself yes there's a there's a video out there i i've talked about it on the show before i don't remember the name of it it's in my favorites at obscuredtruth.com if anybody wants to dig back through and find it but it's it basically the guy makes the point that I think it was the doctor guy that's uh, I, I've subscribed to him, but uh, he makes the point that throughout evolution, you know, you start out with these little uh, particle or compounds or whatever atoms, and then those combine and form molecules and elements and so forth, and then those combine and form these little amoebas and so forth, and those combine and create a community and form single-celled organisms, and those combine and create multi-celled organisms. And you keep going, you keep adding this complexity, and eventually what evolves out of the chaos, out of the anarchy, if you will, Mm -hmm. is a new order, a new organism, a new consciousness. And I think that's happening right here as well, and this is one of the ways that we're finally becoming aware of it, that all of these people interacting together, sharing their thoughts and their ideas together and communicating in a way that has never happened before is creating sort of a new consciousness. What's really interesting, too, is that the Internet is a way for people to express their ideas and compare them with others, and people are exposed to a lot more different ideas so they can form more informed um, opinions about things. But sometimes there might be, before, when you were more isolated and you had the big three broadcasting to you and spoon-feeding you information, you might feel a certain way about something, but you might feel like you're the only one because because it's not being talked about in the mainstream, whereas now people express things outside the mainstream and they find out that, wow, there's a lot of people who who believe this. Yeah, and I think people are waking up to the fact that they're, in fact, not alone, that you know they may have always thought these things, but kind of brushed them aside and, oh, well, the mainstream media must be right. They've got fancy uh, graphics and stuff. Yeah, I must just be crazy. (laughs) All right, well, let's get back. I want to just sort of finish up this letter here. Uh, He talks about the one predicted for November 8th through the 14th, approximately. It has an an intense emotional impact over six full days and a cast, well, but with the new numbers Ah, for six full days, and uh, cascading an emotional release period well into March 2011. So in the 9-11 attack, you had 12 hours of this release language. Here it goes on for two months. Now, mm-hmm. what's going on in that two months? It begs a, it's an interesting question. Is it hyperinflation and people are trying to, uh, you know, prices are going up at the grocery store every day and people are trying to get out of the dollar uh, into who knows what? Is it going to be a war over in the Middle East? Is it going to be some kind of natural catastrophe? Or, you know, there's even speculation of, oh, the aliens are going to come down and take over the planet and we're going to be fighting the aliens. Who knows? It could be an attack of some kind. But the interesting thing about this is this event is predicted to have 10 to 100 times the impact of 9-11 and changing our lives forever after. Cliff says it will start in the U.S. and spread globally, according to his data. Again, right. this is, this is it's, he doesn't have 100% hit rate but it, this this uh, intensity of the data is something to pay attention to because i can sense it and if you look at the commodities markets in the last few weeks what they've been doing 
and you're looking at SDRs now starting to be issued uh, in the in Europe for um, airline passengers. I just read a story about that. You're seeing stories of foreign countries getting impatient with the U.S. about the dollar and the debasement. Things China has said no more bonds, pretty yeah, much. Things are building. It's it's happening quickly. So this is sort of a verica- verification for me that, that something is coming to a head soon. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, whether or not the dollar collapse happens between November 8th through the 14th or in the two months following that, I don't know. It's a shift, though, of some kind, the tipping point. That's what it's supposed to be. But yeah, We but, may not even see anything right away unless you're really paying attention, maybe for a few months after until it manifests fully. But I think this this will be visible. But the, the truth is, whether or not it comes in, the, in, these, in this timeline or not, it's coming. And this is something that people need to understand. They need to realize what's coming ahead, what's around the bend here, and do things to get prepared for it. I mean, there are... They talk about this being a hundred to ten to a hundred times worse, and he groups things into all of these different buckets that he creates, and what he's seen and why he has such a high confidence factor, which he he ranks these on a one to ten scale, and this one's a nine, meaning it's almost certainty that it's going to happen or that something is going to happen, is because all of his different buckets are kind of drawing together into the same story. Mm-hmm. So he's got all these different component areas that don't always tie together that now all of a sudden have merged together to show this emotional tipping point that's coming up. And so we don't know, he doesn't know what it would, what it actually will be. There's a lot of speculation. There's a lot of possibilities and things that could create this, this kind of disastrous event, whether it's a economic or natural disaster or war or you know something by the state. And by the way, when, when countries get into trouble economically, sometimes they will start wars. Oh, yeah. That, that, throughout history, that's happened very often. So I think the important thing to do is look back in history and, says, and say and realize, okay, what happens in these times of uncertainty? What happens when the dollar starts to, starts to collapse or when a currency starts to fold? And it's, it's pretty clear, you know, prices start going through the roof. You get hyper, excuse me, hyperinflation. And so you go back to the grocery store and things are constantly getting more expensive. And when it gets out of reach of the average American, the government doesn't want those people revolting because they can't get enough food. So they institute price controls. And if you look at how that went in Venezuela, all the meat disappeared off of the, uh, grocery store shelves because ranchers overnight. were willing to sell it for that price well yeah i mean if you've invested five grand in raising your cattle and then you've got the the president coming in and telling you oh you can sell that cow for a total of two thousand dollars are you going to sell it nope you're going to slaughter it and eat, your, eat it yourself or put exactly. it in the freezer and wait until the prices you, go up who would do that but that's the kind of logic that that's the kind of problem solving that the government is capable of and so if this starts to unfold people please, please, please start thinking about it long term. What am I going to need? If in the worst case scenario, you know, supply chain breaks down, uh, gas, gasoline and oil goes to $10 a a gallon, that's going to create significant price inflation. Things are going to get more expensive. Those things are available now. And there are things that you can stock up on things like toilet paper, things like long term uh, food storage, uh, whether it's shampoo and conditioner, just Extra things that you can buy now, make sure that you've got enough so that if there is some kind of disruption, you're not going to be one of the hungry masses out in the street expecting the government to take care of you. Yeah, you've got it. Because these things are like money in the bank. They're going to be a lot more expensive uh, in the coming months, regardless of whether this tipping point happens or not. 
Look yeah. what's happening with the dollar. Look how they're debasing. Look at QE2. They'll put a lot more money than what they're saying. Yeah, they are not going to stop. There will be a QE3. If they can get away with it, they are going to run the dollar into the ground and leave you holding the bag. So please, please get prepared. Do what you can to make sure that you and your family and friends are safe. It's been uh, Sam I Am here with you. And Wayne, it's been a pleasure. And join us tomorrow night for Free Talk Live. Thank you for